welcome to Bulls Gold on Nothing But Net Radio, a part of Dash Radio. I'm Edward Schuler, joined by Salim Sudawala. Salim, how's it going today, man? Going well, Edward. Uh, enjoying my week. Uh, I was, as I was saying before we started recording, this this week has flown by really quick, surprisingly, where this whole year has been dragging. But for some reason, this week decided to uh, go from Monday to Friday, like overnight, it felt like. Uh, been enjoying, obviously, NBA playoffs, bubble playoffs, been some really exciting games. Uh, kind of makes you wonder if the NBA should find a way to have some kind of way that there's in the NBA finals, maybe that there's a home court advantage, but that could get probably a little tricky. That's just something I've been <laughs> thinking about randomly. That could get tricky, though, and I think a lot of people probably be upset about it. But yeah, yeah I've been going well overall, like I said, enjoying playoffs and, and enjoying uh, whatever time I have. Yeah, no doubt. The uh, playoffs have been great this week. We've got some really good games and we're looking forward to the conference finals. But we still have a lot of time to talk Chicago Bulls and we have a really special guest with us on this show. Color commentator for NBC Sports Chicago, former Chicago Bull, three-time NBA champion Stacey King joining us on Bulls Gold. Stacey, how's it going today, man? What's going on, fellas? Thanks for having me. Oh, no, it's a pleasure, yeah, no man. We're, we've we've been fans here for a while. We love, you know, you entertain us during games, especially sometimes this, these past few seasons, the games haven't been the most exciting. But, you know, you you guys you guys do a good job. You in particular entertain us, and we're, we're really happy to, that you uh, agreed to join us today. Well, I appreciate that. I'm always uh, – I always love talking about Bulls basketball, even during my off time, so – yeah, absolutely. And and Stacey, it's been it's been like a wild three years, right, since the Bulls traded Jimmy Butler, recently made the uh conference final with the Miami Heat. So they they traded Jimmy Butler, they started this rebuild, a lot of fun and exciting young players. And this process has just been it's just been a wild ride. And as you know, uh John Paxson and Gar Foreman no longer with the Chicago Bulls, or John Paxson is still there as he's an advisor, but Arturis Karnishevis and Mark Eversley are running the show now. So we just wanted to start out with the uh the rebuild in general. From what you've seen so far, what do you think about how this rebuild has gone with Zach and Lowry and uh Wendell Carter Jr. in the fold and how do you think it's going to progress under Arturis Karnishevis and Mark Eversley? Well, I mean, I know the frustrations with Chicago Bulls fans. I mean, they want to win now. You know, they're seeing Milwaukee, uh, how they've turned their situation around and they're starting to win. And, and they, even though they got knocked out of the playoffs just recently by Miami, uh, I know the frustrations are there for the fans. But, you know, you got to remember, you know, in order to, to – be successful and have a successful franchise like the Bulls. The Bulls is a dynasty. Those those championships, those six banners that are hanging up in the United Center, or it may seem like a long time ago, but it's really not a long time. We're not talking like the Cubs when they, you know, hadn't won a World Series in a hundred and something years. You know, so it hasn't been that far removed from winning championships. And then there was a rebuild after the championships, because as you guys know, you know, once once the championship years were over, there was a rebuild there. You had to rebuild there, and they did that. Um, you know, Derrick Rose comes along. They draft Joe King Noah. Um, you know, so they, they they got all the necessary pieces to try to bridge that gap from that championship year to that lull period, uh, you know, when you had the Elton Brand, you had Tyson Chandler, you had that young team. Um, they bridged the gap and got better. And then, I mean, they were one game away from getting to the finals uh, with Derrick Rose-led team without having a, a legit number two player to go along with Derrick Rose. So I can understand the, the frustration with the fans. I hear it a lot. Um, but at the same time, you know, rebuild takes time. And you've got to have the right pieces. And I think they've acquired the right pieces. Now, had the Bulls record been better last year, Zach Levine's on the all-star team easily on the all-star team. Mm -hmm. If they would have been a playoff contending team, Zach Levine would have been an all-star last year and he would have deserved to be an all-star, even though he didn't make the all-star team, he should have been on the all-star team. But a lot of that has to do with when they start to pick those, those last few guys on the all-star team is how your team is doing. And he got caught in that situation. Uh, you look at Kobe white uh, easily should have been, had more votes in rookie of the year this year. That was a travesty. The kid, was one of the best rookies all season long. Uh, I couldn't understand why he didn't start. 
I, I thought he should have started, you know, way before uh, the second half. I thought uh, he gave he gave the Bulls the best chance to win as far as being out there with Zach and Lowry. Because as you know, in the NBA, you know, best players, your best player is going to win more games for you. And um, I was really disappointed to, to see him not get, uh, you know, recognized better than what he was as a rookie. Um, Lowry had a, a year that we all scratched our heads about. Mm-hmm. Um, that wasn't the Lowry market that we saw the three years prior to that. Uh, the, the Lowry market that we saw last year uh, lacked some confidence a little bit. You know, maybe it was the system. Maybe it was the, the coaching. Um, you know, he would be the one to have to tell you that. From, but from an outsider looking in, he just didn't seem like he had the confidence that he had when we, you know, his first three years he was here that we were all looking at him and saying, hey, that's the next Dirk Nowitzki. And I think, you know, coming into this next season, um, the Bulls have just as much good young talent as any of these young teams. Uh, you know, Phoenix, um, you know, San, uh, Sacramento, mm-hmm. you know, all these teams that have these great young players, Memphis, the Bulls have just as good or better young assets, young talent. It's just now time to put it all together and start, you know, really progressing forward. And I, I think with the new management, um, I think with a new coach, uh, I, I think you will see that. Let me ask you about Zach. How good do you think he can still become? Because I think if you talk to a lot of Bulls fans, there's maybe, you know, a lot of disagreement. People think that, you know, he's he's a very good scorer, but – he doesn't do a lot of else and maybe to help the team win. And then there's other people, fans that think, you know, he definitely has a potential to be uh, uh, number one or two, even, or something like that on the team. And recently we saw like a guy like Kevin Durant. I don't know if you saw those. Uh, he was recently on a podcast with uh, JJ Redick and he brought up Zach Levine as one of the guys that he feels like has superstar potential. So in your conversations, maybe that you've had with people and then even in your opinion, how good do you think he can still be, become? Oh, Zach Levine is a, is a superstar, in my opinion. I think he's just scratching the surface. You got to remember, he's he was coming off a devastating ACL injury less than a year ago, and to see where he is, where he has gotten himself, and all the hard work that has put him in position to even be talked about being on the All Star team is remarkable. Because you know, when you come back from that type of injury, there's a lot of mental that goes a lot of mental part of it goes into your head because you're constantly thinking, am I ever going to be the same player that I was? Am I going to be the guy that was jumping and flying all over the place? There's a mental part of it more so than the physical part. And he conquered that. And he, I mean, if you look at Zach Levine last year, you were looking at a guy that you wouldn't even thought he had ever had an ACL injury because you've seen other people with ACL injuries. You see how they come back from it. Takes them. Sometimes it's a little slower, and sometimes guys come back a little faster. And Zach, I tell you right now, in my opinion, um, you know, as far as a, a go-to score, a guy that can score and put the ball in the basket, look look at all the teams in the NBA, you know, the James Hardens, you know, the Westbrooks, you know, you keep the, the Damon Lillards. All these guys can do a lot of different things. But the one thing that stands out is they get buckets. And in this game, it's about scoring. It's about getting buckets. I can see Zach Levine becoming a better defensive player. He's athletic enough where there's no reason why he can't be a great two-way player. It's it's a matter of, you know, how much time and energy does he want to put into that? And what kind of coach can bring that out in him? You know, who says to him, Zach, the reason why you're not making the all-star teams, or Zach, the reason why you're not getting the accolades that you think you deserve is because people look at you as being one-dimensional. And he's a smart kid. He's a kid. He's a gym rat. He works on his game. This is not something that he'll go, you know, you tell him these kind of things. He's not going to sit back and go, I'm not doing that. You know, I'm not doing I'm a scorer. He's not like that. I've sit and talked to Zach many times, and we talked about becoming a two-way player. And he knows he has to work on it. He's gotten better. But can he get even better? Yes, he can. And with his athleticism, there's no way. There's no way in the world that he shouldn't be tops in the league in steals. You know, a guy who can get out in the passing lane and then get out there and do showtime out in the open court. He could be that type of player. Um, it's just a matter of who they bring in to coach, who they bring in to develop these younger guys and to take them. Because a couple of these guys took a step back last year. Let's just be honest. Call a spade a spade. Mm. 
a couple of young players took a step back last year. Yeah, for so sure. So now the key, I think, for our tourists and Mark is to find a guy with player development skills that can bring these guys and make them reach their potential and take them beyond that. And one of the memorable moments from last season was when Zach Levine had that big game against Charlotte where he just went crazy from three, hit that insane three-pointer to give them the win, the come-from-behind win when it just felt like it wasn't going to happen. And that was the game after he had some friction with Jim Boylan. So from what you saw last year, did it? why do you think the players just didn't seem to respond to the prior head coach in Jim Boylan in it, it seemed like there was just always problems from jump really when Jim Boylan got the job. Well, I mean, it's, it's like this with, with any young team, you know, not so much your veteran teams, not so much your teams that are playing in the, in the playoffs to win championships. What you do see a lot of this sometimes is, is with these teams that are not winning and there's frustration uh, there's frustration that may be with the offense or maybe frustration with the way we want to run, but they don't want the coaches don't want to run. So there could be a lot of variations of what went on and what went wrong. I, I think a lot of it is just a breakdown in communication. Um, Jim, Jim Boylan is a really, he's a, he's a lifer. He's a basketball. Maybe, you know, when you look at him, people say, well, he doesn't know what he's doing. You know, he's been in this league for 30 some years. So obviously he knows a little bit. I mean, because if you didn't know, if he didn't know basketball, trust me, he wouldn't be on anybody's coaching staff. And he's been on some very good coaching staffs. Maybe the situation of being the head coach was was a little bit with a young team, maybe was a little tough for him. Maybe he could be a veteran coach, a team going with, with guys that's been in there like eight, nine year veteran type of players, like the Robin Lopez's, you know, those kind of older players. Maybe he relate to them a little bit better. I think you know, trying to relate to these young guys is a little tough for him, you know, because he he's a he's a no-nonsense guy. He wants everybody to come in and, you know, put a hard day's work in, punch a clock in as they had the clock in the practice facility. He wants everybody with that mentality. And, you know, sometimes these young kids, it's a different generation. You know, I mean, you know, playing for Phil Jackson and, and, and going through that kind of stuff, you know, uh, he was different than my college coach. And as a player, you either have to adjust and adjust your style of play, your your mentality to meet what everybody else is doing, or you can stand off to the side and you find yourself traded two years through, you know, two years down the road. You know, in order to win, in order to be a team, we all must follow the same rules. We almost follow the same guidelines, no matter how crazy we think it is, because in those championship years, you know, Phil Jackson, we all thought Phil Jackson was crazy. I mean, Phil Jackson was doing the Zen. He had us doing Zen. Humming, <laughs> you know, the white buffalo. We got smoke going everywhere. And we all had to buy into that. I mean, I, I can tell you stories. I can write a book about this. But sitting around a rounded table with all the players, Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Bill Cartwright, Paxson, you know, and, and Phil trying to get us to meditate. And this is before we won our first championship to learn how to channel channel our energy into one place instead of being all over the place. And we all thought it was crazy. First couple of times you see, you know, when everybody's eyes are supposed to be closed, you see people looking to see how many people's eyes are closed. <laughs> and then after a while, everybody's eyes are closed because you start seeing a difference in the way you're playing and the way you're approaching the game. So once you see it works, you say, well, I'm doing it now. I'm doing it all the time now. And I think the same thing with this young Bulls team last year is the fact that, you know, Jim is, you know, was hard pressed doing certain things and they weren't seeing the results of the things that they were being told to do or the things that he was trying to present to them. If you do this, this is going to happen. And this, you know, these young generations about show me athletes are about show me, I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to do what you tell me to do, but I want to see results. And I, I think, they got caught into that. We didn't see the results, so they kind of bristled against some of the things that he was trying to teach them. Let me also ask you about another player. You, you acknowledge that there's guys that definitely took a step back last year, and in particular, an important player in this rebuild was Laurie Markin, Laurie Markin, and I should say, that did take a step back last year. And I think people talk about various reasons why they talk about maybe he added too much bulk, um, this he, he maybe he hasn't really added to his game and in, in the off season. 
One thing, as I've noticed over the last couple of years, I know they talk about him not being able to play out of the post, but I feel like it has more to do with his feet, the way he, he doesn't really have good footwork as opposed to just strength. What are what are some of the reasons do you think that he's really struggled? Well, I think a lot of it's, uh, I mean, just looking at, you know, the two coaches, for instance, Fred Hoiberg, and then you look at, you know, Jim Boylan. You know, Jim Boylan's a, more of a let's get him in the post, let's post him up, bang him, bang, boom, where Fred Hoiberg was more let's get Lowry moving a little bit. Let's get him cutting to the basket. Let's get him, you know, coming off screens, catch and shoot. Because Lowry is more, honestly, is more of the new NBA now, the hybrid forward. You know, he's got center size, but he's got forward skills. So, you know, you're looking at, you know, Porzingis, who's seven foot three. Who, who plays like he's six foot seven. And the same things can be said about him. Well, he doesn't go in the post that much. He doesn't do this, he does that. But he's effective in what he does. He's a matchup problem on the perimeter. Anybody his size, he's going to go by you. And so you find yourself, you know, in a pick and roll switching. Now, common sense would be, you know, if you're going to run a pick and roll with one and four, one and five, that's a point guard, power forward, or center. And I said a good screen because you know everybody in the NBA switches automatically it should be automatic that that big man roll to the post and take that point guard down there and get fouled, go to the basket. But a lot of times in the defense, in most defenses, they switch. As soon as that big man rolls to the basket, the next biggest guy will come over and switch. So therefore that big guy doesn't have the matchup that he thought he had when he was initially setting that screen and roll. So that's up to a coach now to recognize, like, okay, they're switching that. They're bringing, let's say you're bringing – uh, a Montrez Harold type player over six foot eight on Lowry. Now Lowry may have the size advantage over him, but he doesn't have the strength advantage over him. Where Lowry is going to have an advantage on that guy is to be able to catch face up eight to 10 feet, you know, shot fake drive to the basket and use his length that way. So it becomes a, it becomes a situation and systematically, how can we get this guy to be the best he can be? And I think last year there's probably a little frustration you know, in the system for Lowry. You know, it just – you watched a lot of the Bulls games last year. Um, you know, Lowry was basically standing at the three-point line all the time. Like, he was taking – in certain games, he was taking more threes than twos. And what I would have liked to see Lowry do is I would like to be able to see him get the ball off the glass, start the break, initiate the offense on the break, then, you know, dive, cut to the basket, look for the ball back, finish. Uh you know, if you got a small one on you, you know you got a small one on you. You demand the basketball. Don't let the defense make that adjustment uh, when they recognize that they, they, they're at a disadvantage. Now Lowry has to say, wait a minute, I've been in this league long enough now. Forget the play. Throw me the ball. I got Chris Paul on my back right here. Give it to me. And when he doesn't get the ball, then the ball offense goes somewhere else, and then people go, well, Lowry can post up Chris Paul, blah, blah. That may not be Lowry's fault. That may be the system because with a young team, guys, if the play is called, most young teams are going to run the play that's called, even though there's a mismatch. But you watch the NBA playoffs, let's say the Lakers, for instance. You see that, you know, LeBron James runs the pick and roll with Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis has got the mismatch. LeBron doesn't hesitate. They break the play off. Here, go to work, big fella. And that's sometimes you have to improvise in your offense to take advantage because it's so hard to score in the NBA because teams are so good defensively. At least the upper echelon teams are very good defensively. So it's very hard. So whenever you do get a mismatch and you see it in the playoffs because it becomes a half-court game in the playoffs and you've got to be able to exploit matchups when you have them. I like what you were saying earlier about this is a different generation of players and the Bulls need a head coach who speaks their language, who just gets this current generation. So now that they have a head coach opening, is there anyone out there who you think is a great fit for this team? Well, there, there's a lot of good candidates. I mean, you know, I'm glad I don't have to make these decisions. Mm. You know, um, you know, I like Adrian Griffin, who was here. He did a great job of player development when he was on Tom Thibodeau's staff. Uh, when he was on, um, you know, he was on Scott Skiles' staff. He was very good at player development. And that's where one of the areas that, you know, the Bulls really need, I think they're really looking to improve at. 
Um, he's also got a good demeanor as far as his personality. Um, I think the player, all the players love him. Um, I think Kenny Atkinson um, from the uh, Brooklyn Nets, I think he's another guy who does well with player development. I mean, listen, you watch Brooklyn play the last few years when he was there, no, no team played harder than Brooklyn. And I think that was one of the reasons why Brooklyn was able to get Kyrie Irving and they were able to get Kevin Durant because they saw how hard those guys play, the, the reserve players, the, the role players. And so they looked at that and said, hey, man, that's, you know, that, that might be a good place for me. There's a, there's a ton of good young coaches out there that have been on the bench, like Sam Cassell. Sam Cassell has been on with Doc Rivers for a long time, and he, he's a very, very good communicator. Players love him, plus he played the game. And I think that's a huge part. It, it doesn't have to be a prerequisite if you play the NBA or not, but it does help because as players, you know, you're looking at someone who's been through what you've gone through, okay? So like Phil Jackson coaching us, you know, Phil, Phil understood what our bodies felt like on four, game, four games in five nights. He understood that. You know, he understood all the things, the nuances that come along with the game that says, hey, you know what? These guys need a mental break today. Go home. I don't want to see anybody in the gym today. And as a player, you recognize that and you go, man, he, he really, he's looking out for us. He's got our best interests at heart. And that goes a long way with players. So I think the key for the Bulls is, is to find a guy who not only is good at X and O's, but he's a great communicator. Because I've always said, you know, I've always said about coaching, because I coached in the CBA for like five years, so I know this. Um a head coach from a basketball team has to have the pulse of his team. You know, you have to know, and outside of basketball, get to know your players. Get to know the things they like to do. You know, like if I was, I'd run a, I'd run a practice in, in the CBA at Rockford, and they would come into practice one day, and I had the, somebody's favorite music playing. You know, and this dude would be like, man, coach, coach. You know, <laughs> and that dude would run through a wall for me. You know what I'm saying? It's little bitty things. Steve Kerr does it well too. I, you know, Steve Kerr will when when they were winning the championships. You know, they'd come to a city, and Steve Kerr would say, "Hey, you know, if we win three games in a row, bring your girlfriends, your wives with us on the next trip." You know, and you see the players relate to that. They're like, "Wow, man! Oh, yeah, you know, first of all, you're giving them a carrot. You're saying, hey, I need you to win three games in a row, and you're giving them something to be motivated by.'" Because now they can bring their families and their wives on this one particular trip, say to Chicago or New York, a big city. So they're motivated. And then they're going to continue to do these kind of things. Phil did that. That's where Steve learned that stuff from, from Phil Jackson. You know, I learned a lot from Phil Jackson as a coach, and I used it. And it works. And you just got to have the, the pulse of your, your players. And I think the Bulls are going to do their due diligence. Uh, I think Arturis and, and Mark, uh, they're great basketball minds. They're great basketball guys. They know what they're doing. I mean, our tourist record speaks for itself in Denver. Look at that team right now. I mean, yeah. that team is – I mean, they're they're probably a couple of years away from being a legitimate, like, title team. But they got the right pieces, and he was responsible for getting some of those pieces there. Let me ask you, so when we're talking about coaching, would you prefer that – he gets a guy coaches that have been in that position already that have that experience or look at one of these newer guys out there that are thought of as up and coming like M.A. Odoka or even uh, Adrian Griffin who hasn't had an opportunity to be head coach yet, but he's been on the bench for a while. Uh, or like I said, again, to get an experienced guy like a Billy Donovan uh, or even uh, there are guys like Darvin Ham and uh, Dan Craig both are assistants, but they have experience like yourself, like they've coached in uh, the G League as head coaches. So what, what would you prefer, like a guy, like I said, an experienced guy or a guy that's, you know, just it doesn't matter really? Well, you know, I'm one of these guys that, you know, I kind of get tired of the retreads. Mm, okay. You know, guys who, who continue to get head coaching jobs, but they're not winning in none of the places that they go. Um, so I'm, I'm one of the, in belief that if I got a young team, and, I, and I'm, I'm looking at my team, you know, five, ten years down the road. Where can we actually be? Is this a, is, do we have the pieces? Now, now, granted, we may add pieces later on. But right now, can I look at this team? Do we have pieces that we think it can compete for the Eastern Conference Championship? Now, you got to remember who you're going to be competing against in the next four or five years. you got a Miami team that's always 
you know, they don't they don't get the star players, but they always restock with players that will keep them, you know, keep them relevant up in the top four or five in the Eastern Conference. You got Milwaukee, who's right down the street from you, who's, you know, with Giannis, you don't know what he's going to do. You hear stories that he may leave, yada, yada. But that's a solid team there for the next, you know, five years. So these are the teams you're going to be competing with. So, you know, if you're the Bulls front office, you're looking at these guys and saying, okay, we, we've got some nice pieces here. And where can we be in the next four or five years? That's why I say, you know, when you're looking at these coaches, you know, Steve Kerr had no experience. He's won titles. You know, Billy Donovan, even though he coached in Florida, but he didn't have NBA experience. And he hadn't dealt with NBA players. And I thought he did a great job in Oklahoma City considering the fact. I mean, you know, they were up 3-1 against Golden State a few years ago. They should have won that game. And, I, you know, that – that doesn't fall on the coach. A lot of people say, well, that's the coach's fault. No, it falls on your star players. They can't decide, you know, who who's going to shoot every single time down the floor instead of saying, hey, look, we got these guys on the rope. Let's finish them. Let's get, you know, win a title. That's all what it's all about. But at the same time, for the Bulls, they're in a, they're in a delicate situation right now because, you know, they hired, you know, the last two hires, you know, uh, Fred was a college coach, not a pro coach. They went that route. Um, you know, you know, Jim Boylan was a life assistant. So they've had the both of, you know, both worlds now. So now you have to ask yourself, hey, well, maybe we go with somebody younger. You know, maybe we go with someone younger that can relate to these guys that, you know, that has a good track record, that is good with player development. And let's see what we can do with this guy. You know, so they, they got, <laughs> they're going to have choices, you know. Um, they're going to have, they're, they're going to have choices. I mean, Billy Dom is now a free agent. So, you know, and he's – I think he's an excellent coach. Mm-hmm. I think he's excellent with young players. And I don't think anybody thought his name was going to come up anytime soon. So this has been – that that just kind of threw a monkey wrench into pretty much anybody's thought process because there's going to be a lot of teams looking for him. Yeah, absolutely. And it, depending on what happens in uh, game five of the Houston Lakers series, Mike D'Antoni could also be a free agent. So, I mean, all of a sudden you're looking at a ton of coaches who could be available. Uh the Bulls moved up in the draft lottery, so they're going to be adding another uh, high lottery piece to this uh, core they have here. Do you have anyone in mind who you think would, re- or even if it's not a particular player, do you have like a skill set in mind? Do you think that this team should be looking for in the draft that's just count that's really currently missing that could take this team up a notch? Well, I mean, there you know, listen, I, I was going into this draft hoping to get number one or number two. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, realistically, anything's better than seven. I mean, we just did roll with seven. I mean, in yeah. Vegas, seven would be great. You know, first rollout, seven, that'd be great. Yeah. But after a while, seven gets kind of old. We want to get up a little higher and uh, nothing lower than seven. Seven would be the worst, nothing lower than seven, but we got four. Um, there's going to be some talented kids there. Um I'm a big, honestly, I'm a big LaMelo Ball fan. I think, you know, I think that kid's got superstar written all over him. I think he's going to be better than, you know, his brother in New Orleans. And that, and, and, and Zoe is a really good player, really good player. I think, you know, because of who his father was and all the hype that came along with it, I think expectations were out the roof. But what he's shown you since he's been in the league, he's been a very solid, you know, solid point guard. He gets his teammates involved. Uh, he's fun to watch. That New Orleans team is going to be really good in a few years, and he's going to be, you know, one of the catalysts for bringing them, you know, bringing them back. Um, I'm a big Lamelo Ball fan. I like him because of his size, and he can play multiple positions. Six eight point guard. I mean, he's got that Penny Hardaway, uh, Tracy McGrady type of, you know, game body. I'm not saying he's as good as those guys are, but you can see his ceiling is really really high. You know, he can shoot, he can pass. Um, you know, but I, I think, I think for me personally, if you can't get, you know, him or Edwards and those, those, those guys don't slip because someone is going to slip before, mm-hmm. before the draft, you know, look at Michael Porter Jr. I mean, Michael Porter Jr. You know, was the consensus number one player a couple of years ago from high school, even when he went to Missouri for that one year. And then the, the, you know, reports of his bad back. Now you look at Michael Porter Jr. Now, and you're sitting there saying this kid got all-star ability written on him the way he's playing with uh Denver right now um so you got to be careful about letting these guys slip in the draft because you know just because you know one team doesn't like them and, and, and says something about them everybody can't copy that in I mean 
look at Luka Doncic. I mean, how many teams in, in 10 years, people are going to look back and look at all the teams that passed on him. Mm-hmm. Think about that for a second. I mean, he easily, and not saying like, you know, uh, DeAndre Aiden is not a, a great player and he's going to be a great player. But if you're looking at the small sample size of what we've seen so far with Luca, oh my gosh, he, I mean, <laughs> he may he may be a generational talent. Yeah. And teams passed on him. And so you got to be very careful. And but for your question though, with the Bulls, um I I, I say you've got to get you've got to get the best available player. Um I would like to see more athleticism. I'd like to see some more of a guard wing in that six, 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 seven range that can defend uh, multiple positions. Uh, can you know? Not so much. You know, everybody worries about shooting. You know, oh, can he shoot? Can he? I'm not worried about that. I, I, right now, you're starting to look at putting pieces together to to get closer to getting over the hump. And in this game, in the NBA game, the more assets you have, the better. And so, I think right now you're looking at you know, who can come in right now and be an asset and play right away for you. You don't want to wait three years for a guy to play. You you want him to be able to play right now, walk in like a Kobe White did, you know, uh, you know, like uh, Wendell Carter Jr. did. You know, those guys were able to come in, even though it was a young team, they were able to come in and get some meaningful minutes their rookie year. So that's what I'd be looking for. Do you think, though, that maybe the, the Bulls – you talk about a mellow ball, and do you think that maybe the Bulls could – use someone that's more of a lead initiator, um, someone that can really, you know, get other guys involved. Because right now, obviously, you have Zach can kind of control the ball, but he's he's obviously a scorer, so he doesn't have that really at point guard mentality. Kobe, obviously, you want to see him develop that, but he's still more of like a combo guard more than anything and more like, again, a scorer, point guard mentality. So would you say that, like, the Bulls probably do need that guy that comes in, has that mindset, I'm going to get everyone involved? Well, it's hard to find that in the draft. I mean, because most guards are coming out, uh, most guards are coming out of college. They're combo guards anyway. I mean, think about it. I mean, name name a true point guard that's in the top ten. You know, Lamelo Ball's the only one really. You've got Cole Anthony, but he's really a combo guard as well. So most of these guards are more scoring guards first. They're in the lines of you know a Russell Westbrook or uh, Damon Lillard. You know who are guys that can get their shot anytime they want and whatever system they come from, from the college, that's what they've always been asked to do. Go get yours. So they don't have that mentality coming into the NBA to get others involved. So if that's the case, you already got that in Kobe white. So how about develop him, maybe bring in a veteran guard that can play behind him to teach him, to show him. You know, it would have been great to if the Bulls would have been able to keep, you know, Rajon Rondo and and be able to have him here uh, to mentor Kobe White. But, you know, finances, money, whatever, uh, wasn't able to do it. Um, and uh, But that's what I would like to see because we don't really know what Kobe can do. We know Kobe comes off the bench, and I thought last year he was in a Ben Gordon role. You know, come off the bench, we need your buckets, you know. It wasn't come off the bench, run the team, get everybody involved. It was we need you to score because once Zach came out, the offense took a hit a little bit. So you needed someone out there that could pick up a little bit of the scoring uh, uh, load, and he did that. He did what he was asked. I think Kobe can be a, a lead guard. I'd like to see it. I'd like to see someone develop him into that role and still be able to go out there and get his. He can still go out there and score. Um, look at Kimball Walker. You know, Kimball Walker – is playing lead guard for Boston. He's been a lead guard, but he's always been more of a scoring point guard. You know, no one doesn't look at Kimba Walker and say, oh, he's going to lead our team. He's he's the point guard. He's Chris Paul. Those those guards are gone. I mean, Chris Paul is like the big man, you know, the seven-foot post guys. They're dinosaurs. And when you find one, it's like a unicorn. You know, it's like, oh, there's one right there. That's Lucky <laughs> Charm. We found four-leaf clover. It's the same way with point guards. Chris Paul is one of the last – true point guards that we have in this game. Um, you don't see the Steve Nash's, the Jason Kidd's, those kind of guards anymore. The guards that you're seeing now are more on the lines of Derrick Rose, athletic, play above the rim, can get their shot anytime. And, you, I mean, Darren Fox in Sacramento. I mean, there's a ton of kids out there uh, that are like that. Uh, Alexander, you know, Shea Gildress Alexander in Oklahoma City. 
you know, long, athletic. You know, he's more of that kind of guard, but he's a combo guard. You know, he played off with Chris Paul this year. So um, that's what you're seeing now with the guard. So it's really hard to say, like, oh, the Bulls should go get a point guard so he can be a lead guy because that's still going to need the ball. Lowry's going to need the ball. Uh, Kobe's going to need the ball. Uh, it's just a matter of putting a system that predicates everyone touching the ball. You see what I'm saying? Because if you got – most of the NBA is 99.5% pick and roll. It, I mean, when offense breaks down any kind of play set, if you pass the ball two times in an NBA game, that's a lot. It is. It's a lot. Normally somebody's shooting a three or it's a pick and roll situation. So whereas – like when you have a, an equal opportunity offense where the ball has to move around the perimeter three or four times getting someone cut, that's a beautiful thing to watch. I mean, to see everybody touch the ball and everybody involved and all the passes. Golden State, with all their superstar players, were like that. You know, you watch the Clippers. Uh, you know, you watch the Clippers play. They play it a lot like that. They get the ball moving around. Everybody touches it. And everybody feels engaged. They feel involved in the offense. Even though they're not shooting it, they're getting to touch the basketball. And that's what Phil Jackson in the triangle did with Michael Jordan. Everybody knows Michael Jordan's going to get, you know, 20-something shots a game. But in the offense that we played in, it was predicated off ball movement. And we were able to move the ball around. Everybody was able to touch it. And we didn't feel like we were just, like, you know, just robots out there. Like, let's everybody just stand around and watch Michael Jordan dance. No, we were all involved, and we didn't. We felt like we were involved in the offense, and I think that's what whoever comes here. I think that's important with their system is that you know they get everybody involved. They you know it's good flow, you know, because you always hear about you know the pace. Everybody always talks about pace in the NBA. Well, pace is all about how how fast you move the ball around the around the perimeter and get good shots and get good looks. And when the ball is stopped. And, you're, and one guy is holding the ball, you know, 16 out of 24 seconds, there is no continuity there. There is no movement. There is no pace. And then you're forced to take a bad shot, which we saw a lot last year with the Bulls. You were a high draft pick yourself for the Bulls. And seeing all of these players, different players come in, uh, Wendell, Kobe, Lowry coming into – a big market, a lot of passionate fans, a lot of pressure because everyone's trying to fill these shoes. And like you said, they're trying to get banner number seven. I mean, it's, it's a lot of pressure. What was it like for you coming into the NBA in 89 and to the Bulls, developing in that atmosphere, Michael Jordan there, Scottie Pippen there, Phil Jackson, your head coach? What was it like and what can you really apply from that experience to how players need to develop now? Well, I think the difference, you know, coming in, I was, I came in as a 22 year old. See, a lot of these kids are coming in at 18, 19 years old. They didn't get the college experience. They didn't go four years, uh, grow up, learn how to, to, to basically be a man. I mean, when you come from college and you spend, you know, you spend four years at a major university, you're playing the best competition, you're in the NCAA tournament, you're doing the same things they're doing. But these guys are coming out going to school one year as freshmen, okay? I, I'm going to tell you right now, as a freshman, man, I, I was just like, I was lost as a freshman. So I can only imagine, you know, coming to a pro environment with, you know, other pros, how lost you will still be. Because as you get older, you get more mature, you know, because first of all, you got you to gotta stay eligible. You got to go to class. There's responsibilities that you learn you know, things that you need in your adult life by staying in school four years. I understand where all these kids leave after one year. It's the rule. But, you know, the same token, you know, we're asking them to grow up fast. We're asking them to, uh, you know, be, you know, be 24 years old when they're really only 18. They're doing things that 18-year-olds do. They're still playing video games. They're going to the malls. And I was doing that at 22. And I remember coming in, me and BJ Armstrong coming in, you know, we both went to big programs and we came here in this big city. I'm a country boy from Oklahoma. OK, mm -hmm. so coming here, you know, I was overwhelmed with the city, you know, the traffic and how, you know, how people drive. It was it was overwhelming. And so um, you learn really quick. You know, you align yourself with good people. Um, and then also I came to a veteran team. So that's a big difference, because when you come in as a young kid, 
I came into a team where you had Bill Cartwright. We had guys who had families. John Paxson was married, had kids. MJ was married, had kids. You know, I didn't come to a team where everybody was one or two years older than me. You know what I'm saying? So it's a little bit different when you come to a veteran-laden team. And that's on, like, you look at all the winning teams right now, the Lakers, you know, the Clippers, all the teams that are in the playoffs right now that are going deep, they're veteran-laden teams. You know, look at the Eastern Conference, Miami. They got Tyler Hero there, the youngest guy on their team. But he's surrounded by good veterans. You know, Dragic, you know, Jimmy Butler, uh, uh, Haslam. He, he's got a wealth of of knowledge over there with veteran players to come into. So, therefore, they take pressure off of him. There's no pressure for him to perform because anything he brings is just an added bonus. But when you come to a team like the Bulls and it's a young team and they're expecting you because they don't have that quality veterans in the locker room that are that are still playing at a high level. That's what I'm saying. You can have good veterans sitting on the bench. But in this game, you need veterans that can still do it that these young kids look up to and go, okay, this is how you prepare. When you sit there and you watch Michael Jordan, as a, I'm 22 years old, I'm sitting here watching him read scouting reports and watching film. So now if I'm looking at this. This is an example that I'm seeing. So now i got to do what he's doing because if, if he's this good doing this, I need to be doing this. All the young players need to follow a Bill Cartwright or something like that. Sometimes you get into situations, guys, where you know, you're on a bad team with bad influences. The veterans are not good veterans. And then all of a sudden, young players are following them and it's setting a wrong example. You know, I use I use Eddie Curry as an example uh, and Tyson Chandler, two different personalities when they were here. They were both young kids and Eddie kind of ventured off and was doing his own thing and following the wrong people. Tyson was doing everything he could to be the best he could be. And you look at him now, he's what, 17, 18 years in the league? Mm-hmm. I mean – it's just a matter of, you know, and that team, the Bulls that they were on, they didn't really have a lot of good influences on them. You know, you had guys like Eddie Robinson. Then you had a ton of guys that, you, you know, that were not good role models for these younger guys. And, and so, and, you know, at the end of the day, that's what young players need. They need to come to an environment where it's, it's, a, it's a positive environment, you know, from top to bottom. You know, your veteran players uh, have to be willing to, you know, grab them and teach them and say, this is what you're supposed to do. That's what good veterans do. And, you know, when you come to these young teams, it's tough because the, the veteran player might only have three years in the league. Mm. So that's tough. For sure. So let's say we all saw the last dance. It was a phenom. Uh, everyone loved it. It was a lot of hype around it as well. In your experience, you talked about being a 22-year-old kid coming to the league. What was your first uh, uh, interaction like with MJ when you first met him and talked to him? Well, I, I, I'd met MJ uh, before, before I even got to Chicago. He was opening up his, uh, his first Jumpman store in North Carolina, and he flew uh, the, some of the top picks down there to help him open it up, sign autographs. So that was my first introduction to him. I thought he was cool. You know, I idolized him in college. You know, I used to have a poster. I tell this story. People laugh at it. I used to have a poster on my wall in my apartment. So every time I'd get ready to go to a game, I would rub the poster. You rub the post and give me good luck. I go out and drop 35, 40 points. So I always attributed that touching that poster, because I'm very superstitious. So I always thought, it, you know, touching that poster gave me luck. So lo and behold, I get drafted by the Bulls. So all my teammates, oh, man, man, when you get to Chicago, man, make sure you touch Jordan. Now you ain't got to do the poster no more. I'm like, yeah, man, I didn't think about that. You're right. I don't have to bring the poster. So I didn't, I didn't bring my poster of him. So I figured, you know, I don't need a posting. I got MJ next to me. So first preseason game, I want to say it was against Detroit. And um, uh, MJ was getting dressed, you know, and so he had his back to me, you know, his shirt was off, whatever. And so I'm getting ready to walk out to the floor in the old stadium. And his, his locker was right by the door of the stadium. So, uh, so I walk up next to him, his back turned. So I, I rubbed him on his, on his shoulder a couple of times. He turned around and looked at me like, man, what are you doing? What are you doing? I say, hey, man, I used to do this before, before every game at Oklahoma, and it used to bring me luck. So I said, since you're here, I should be able to touch you. He said, nah, man, nah, 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 that ain't happening. No, I'm going to get posted. <laughs> so that's one, of my, that's one of my favorite stories. That's awesome. <laughs> that's really great. So, Stacey, this was 
this was Neil Funk's uh, last season doing play-by-play for the Bulls after a legendary career on the mic. What was it like to work side Neil Funk all of these years? And how excited are you to work alongside Adam Amin, who's going to be taking over in the uh, 2021 season as well? Well, see, I got I got to know Neil as a player when he was doing, you know, radio uh, early on in, the, in my career. So Neil's always been a friend. Um, never thought in a million years I'd work with him. Uh, but when we got paired together, I was really excited because, you know, when, uh, you know, when Neil came over from radio to TV, you know, he had done TV before, but it's been a long time. And so when he came on, um, you know, it was just like we clicked. Like it, the way we talk outside of, you know, on TV, that's how we are in real life. Like we're really, we joke with each other a lot. Uh, he's made me a better broadcaster. Um, he's, he's enabled me to be who I am. And, you know, and, and what I mean by that is, is that, you know, a lot of times the play-by-play guys always want to get you the hype calls. You know, he's always that one. You know, you hear Breen, Mike Breen do it. You know, all the lead broadcasters are always the ones who make those calls. And, you know, out of instinct, like out of instinct, I would just blurt things out. Like, you know, if I saw a book, I'd go, ooh, you know, I, I would be like a fan. <laughs> and so he recognized that early on, that that energy that I had, you know, that's what people want to hear, you know. And so he allowed me to be that person. He allowed me to be the guy that, you know, hits you with all the calls and all the sayings and all that. And so without Neil, you know, I probably would not have been, you know, doing what I'm doing. You know, I'd probably been a little bit more straight-laced, um, you know, uh, not so energetic. But my personality is like that. So it would have been hard to keep that sequestered. I still would have busted it out sooner or later. But um, but I tell you what, it's going to be – it's tough. You know, these last two years, uh, we've been auditioning people, as you guys know, uh, to take over for Neil. And, uh, you know – in the back of your mind, you're like, oh, this is not happening. He's going to wake up and say he wants to continue to do this because it's always been Neil's choice. It wasn't the Bulls saying, you know, Neil, you got to go. It was always Neil's choice. You know, Neil's been doing this for 30 years. Uh, you know, the travel, the travel gets to him after a while. Uh, he wanted to spend more time with his, his wife and his family. His grandkids are getting older, you know, and I think he really wanted to spend, you know, these, these last remaining years, you know, traveling with his kids, hanging out with his grandkids and, traveling with his wife and doing all the things that, you know, he wants to do and not have a time constraint. And so uh, last year was, you know, last year was tough because I knew it was coming to an end. Like I knew it. It was just like, you know, it was real tough for me. And you know, I was just hoping one day, and I would always ask him, Neil, come on, man, you ain't got to go. Let's just do the home games, you know, just do, do 40 games out of the year, you know, and the Bulls were willing to work with him. If he wanted to do 10 games, he could have done 10 games. But he, he just felt like it was time to go. And, um, you know, I always get emotional thinking about it. But, um, you know, he, he, he's meant so much to my career. And it's going to be weird not looking over to my left, seeing him. You know, um, it, it's, it's very tough because, like, we, we've had some great moments. We've, we've, we've had some great moments together over the last 10, 12 years. And, you know, it's just like it's, 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 it's so – it's going to be weird looking over there full time now because even last year I knew that even though we had some replacements coming in, I was going to see him when we got home, you know, we get back home. He was going to be at the home games. That's not the case this next year. And so that's going to be a little, that's going to be a little weird. And, you know, I love Neil to death and I'm, I'm you know, of course me, my selfish reasons, I wish he would stay until we both would rode off to the sunset together. But I'm not ready to go nowhere yet. So, 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 so I couldn't ride over that same horse with my man Buck. But to your other question, Adam Amin, man, I tell you, uh, we, we interviewed a lot of great people. We had a lot of great people come out there. You know, Lisa Byington, who's very talented, does Big Ten. Very, very I, – I never, I never had worked with a, a lady before, you know, in, in that kind of, you know, platform. And awesome, just awesome, professional, big-time talent. Um, you know, we got J.B. Long, who does the Rams uh, games out in L.A., who's another talented, you know, broadcaster who I enjoy working with. Mark Shanowski, who was the dark horse, 
You know, no one even thought I had a chance. You know, uh, I enjoyed working with him. You know, so there's a lot of talented people that we had there. And, and those those names I just named off were were three of the three of my favorites as well as Adam. So it wouldn't have we couldn't have gone wrong with any of those four. But Adam is a Chicago guy. He's a big time talent coming over from ESPN. You know, the Bulls being able to get him uh, was a big catch for for you know Bulls fans. I think the people who have seen him work these last couple of years filling in for Neil have realized that you know they're comfortable with him because that's one thing about Chicago. You know, Chicago broadcasters don't leave the booth for a long, long time, and they you know fans get used to voices. You know, they get used to seeing or hearing. The same people. I mean, Harry Carey, you know, Hawk Harrelson, you know, um, and then Neil Funk and, and for basketball, Johnny Red Kirk, you know, uh, Jim Durham, who was here. You know, those were names that people, you know, love to hear, love to listen to, um, you know. And so whenever one of those names decide to retire, it's tough. It's tough for fans. It's tough for their partner who's working with them. Um, but I think, you know, Adam being a Chicago guy, he's going to fill in those shoes got some big shoes to fill but Adam is going to fill in very nicely uh we have a good rapport you know um we get along really good outside of outside of the job and I think that's important to have a relationship with your partner because you're basically around this guy more than you are around your family Mm -hmm. so I consider Neil family you know he's he's familiar for me and so same thing with Adam I, I would expect the same thing with Adam I think you know Right now, our relationship is super tight. We're cool. I love, I love, call, I'll pick up the phone and call him, see how he's doing. He'll call me. Uh, we keep in touch over this pandemic. Um, and we're looking forward to working each other. And I think it'll be a good combination to going forward as the Bulls get better. You know, uh, we're still going to be doing what we do, but we, we want to keep going forward, team, everything, keep moving forward. Yeah, I'm personally very excited about Adam just because that you know, people always say representation matters, and seeing another South Asian uh, person in that being an announcer for my favorite team, I'm really excited about that. That, that that's something that's personal to me. Um, and as I said, I'm very excited about him, but I also want to see Neil one more time because I feel like he deserves a send yeah. out. Um, well, the Bulls, do- are, you know, the Bulls are going to do something like that. I mean, we. Honestly, before all this pandemic thing, I mean, you know, the pandemic has kind of thrown everybody for a loop. I mean, we we don't know what to expect, you know, for next year. We don't know. Are we all going to be in bubbles for 82 games? I mean, is there going to be a bubble on the West Coast, bubble in the Midwest, a bubble in the, you know, out East? How's that going to work? Um, you know, we don't know. We don't, you know, season so far, it, you know, the, the date was December 1st, start of the season. Now with this playoff, you know, going longer than probably they anticipated, you know, now the season looks to start later. So, you know, when will fans be able to come back into the arena? When will it be safe for everybody to come back into the arena? So we, we, there's a lot of things that we don't know, you know, so uh, we don't know how next year is going to be. No one knows. I mean, think about this. You got, I mean, got radio stations, TV stations are, are now doing things from home. You know, no one's in studios hardly anymore. So because of the pandemic, so, you know, we don't, know what's going to happen the next couple of months stacy this has been a blast talking to you uh just listening to your stories have been great and just getting your insight on the team has just been just outstanding we usually like to uh ask our guests to promote what they're uh, working on but we know where we can find you at we know where you can listen to you at but do you have anything that you can let Bulls fans know? I mean, I know we still have a long way to go before the 2021 season. We got a long off season ahead of us, but anything you can let Bulls fans know before we wrap up and just anything else on your mind? Well, you know what? I, I just like to think, I, I like to thank all the Bulls fans because I think we have the best fans in the NBA. I think we have the best fan, fans in sports in general because of the loyalty that they show, you know, in all our sports, you know, Chicago fans are loyal, they ride a guy till the wheels fall off. You know, if you you win a championship, you get the love. You're not winning, you get the love. And you don't see that everywhere else. You go to big cities like New York, 
you know, they boo their team all the time. Boo, boo, boo. <laughs> you know, they, they boo you on the street. You can be out there with your wife and kid, they'll boo you. Like, wait a minute, man, hold up, man. We're not in the arena right now. You ain't got to boo me right now. I'm a really good dude. I'm a family man, you know. But Chicago fans are the best because they're loyal. And they they want winners too. You know, they deserve it. You know, and I, I think, you know, when you look at the, all the championships that have won, I mean, look at the White Sox right now. The White Sox is rolling. You know, Cubs, they're playing really, really well. And the fans are not there. And it really sucks because the fans really make professional sports. And it's really weird to, to not have them be part of it, especially Chicago fans. And I hope that we're able to get a vaccine and I hope that we're able to, you know, slow this, uh, you know, this pandemic down a little bit and, and get back to some sense of normalcy where we can get all the fans back in the arena. Because we definitely I know being being living in Chicago now over 30 years. I know how important it is to to have the Chicago Bulls fans. We Chicago Bulls travel worldwide. I mean, we can go to anybody's arena, and we will have Chicago Bulls fans there. They'll be rooting for us. I've been I've been in arenas where the home team's fans are cheering for Bulls fans. So I, I really really love that. That's the one thing I would say that we miss the Bulls fans. We love you. Thank you for supporting Stacey King and Neil Funk, the dynamic duo. And hopefully we will be back. All of us together sometime in December. Absolutely. Absolutely. Excellent. Again, thank you so much, Stacey. Really a blast. Salim. Man, thanks for having <laughs> me on, man. This is great. This is only the second, this is the only second Zoom podcast I ever done. So y'all are special. Oh man, that's 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 pretty touchy. I yeah. definitely we were very excited. Yeah. I was like crossing my fingers that you would say yes. And uh yeah, I was I was very happy when that you did. No, nah, man, I, I I follow some of y'all. I follow some of your tweets all the time. I, I know you guys are legit, so, you know, and uh, it, it's good. I, I don't mind jumping on helping guys and, and helping guys and, 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 you know, spread the word and talk basketball. It's really cool. Yeah, for absolutely. Sure, for yeah, sure. yeah. We, we would definitely love to talk to you again, Stacey. I mean, we would shoot, we would go a, another hour or so if we had the time. But I know. I, can, I, I, I ain't got nothing to do with Friday. I ain't got no job. <laughs> <laughs> oh man yeah this is this is no but I, my wife's gonna probably have me do some work over here she's over here sneaking around folding clothes right now so <laughs> uh, you might want to get off now and get over here and fold some clothes <laughs> oh man salim any any final thoughts before we wrap up no 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 final thoughts uh i do have one more question for stacy we always love you. We all love your nicknames that you come up with all the time. But what's Chandler Hutchison, Young Pitt? Like, what's with that one? Well, he, he listen, <laughs> listen. When he when he does certain things on the court, he reminds me of Young Scottie Pippen. If you go back and look at Young Scottie Pippen before All Star, before the superstardom came, you know he's he's got a little bit of that. He's long. He's athletic. I know people are frustrated with Chandler because he's injured all the time and he hasn't put a full season together. But there are there he he's he he's a good player, man. And I, I think that's another key for the Bulls too, for for his development. Because I, I think when people can actually see what he can do, um, they'll appreciate him a little bit more. You know, for so sure. that's for a sure. compliment, man. I mean No, for you sure. Know, you go back and look you you go back and look at Scotty pre pre All Star and pre all that. Scotty looks like a deer, like a like a Bambi out there. Mm. For sure. No, I just give me a hard time because you, you <laughs> I, I'll give you credit. Like you called Jimmy Butler, Jimmy G Bucket before. He call, was. Let me tell you about that one. I called him that when he was only averaging eight minutes. Yeah, a game. yeah. exactly. Exactly. Eight so minutes I, a game. He wasn't even Jimmy. He didn't really deserve Jimmy G Bucket at the time. Yeah. He was, <laughs> he's, he's always been one of my favorites. Derrick Rose is one of my favorites. Joe King. But Jimmy with the way he worked and the way how hard he played as a rookie. I gave him that nickname because I had I had been giving everybody else nicknames and he said, Hey man, why'd you give me a nickname, Stacy? And I'm <laughs> nice. thinking to myself, I'm thinking to myself, well, man, you only playing eight minutes. I mean <laughs> 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 I'm gonna I'm gonna have to really do some research on that one. So uh, but it just came to me and he loved it and everybody's using it now. Matter of fact, I should be getting paid off every time someone says it. Yeah, yeah exactly. You, well, you spoke you, that yeah. into existence, so maybe with Chandler you'll you'll speak. Listen to. to me, man. I know these things. <laughs> Listen to me. You've been really influential. Like, if you th it, on your Wikipedia page, there is a long list of your catchphrases, and I'm pretty sure I've heard multiple color commentators use them uh, at different points. So. It's, like, it's like stealing <laughs> off a test, man. Plagiarism. They're stealing all my stuff. They'll use it. They'll use it on their on the, on their broadcast, or they'll use it on their. You know, I've heard some TNT guys 
I'm not gonna say any names. <laughs> TNT guys use some of my stuff, and I'll go, come on, man. Because you know, it's cool, it's flattering that people listen. Mm-hmm. And you know, I don't have any problem with it. Really, I'm, I'm not I'm not one of these guys, you know, that are a hater or whatever. I love what I do. I love being in Chicago. People say, why don't you go do TNT on that? I love Chicago too much, man. I, I'm, you know, most guys in my situation, I've been very blessed to be able to be in a big market from the start. You know, sometimes you got to go to smaller markets and work your way up, and it could take you 15, 20 years to get to that market you really want to be at. I mean, I was dropped in this market, you know, as a, as a player, drafted here, and then got to do what I'm doing here. And, I mean, listen, I, I work for the best organization. You know, they take care of me. They allow me to be myself. And, you know, where else can you do what you love to do and be around the people you love being around like you guys do in this podcast? You guys enjoyed. You love this. You know, this is what you do. You love this. And so when you love something, you're going to give your best at it every single time. So that's how I look at being, you know, the broadcaster for the Bulls, being one of the voices for the Bulls is I really love what I do. No doubt. So. Your most iconic call, we'll wrap up with this. Your most iconic call is Vaderic Rose, Goran Dragic dunk. And I think I think every See? Bulls fan remembers where they were when they saw that and they heard that call. <laughs> that, you know what? And, that, and that's so crazy yeah. because that was just a reactionary call. Yeah. That wasn't something like I was just sitting there waiting to pop that out. That was like I was a fan or if I was drinking in the bar – and I was at, you know, Harry Carey's and I was drinking with my boys. That would have been something I would have said then at the bar, you know. So it just kind of slipped out. And I was early on in my career at that point, mm-hmm. you know. And I will say this, man. I mean, uh, Derek Rose, Joe Kim Noah, Luol Dang, all those guys who played on that team, Boozer, the Booze Cruise, all those guys who played on that team, they really, I owe them a lot because they made it fun for me. They, they made it fun for me. They, they're the reasons why all the nicknames came up. They're the reasons why all this, you know, this Stacy, you know, Stacy-isms or Stacy King-isms are there is because it was so fun calling. It was magical time. Uh, Derek Rose is like a Haley's Comet, man. I mean, kid from Chicago and, uh, you, know, uh, you know, youngest MVP. So, I mean, they made it so easy for me to call the games and, and, you know, if it wasn't for them, I probably wouldn't be doing saying that you wouldn't have all those Stacey Kings on, on Wikipedia or any of those things and what for those guys. So I owe it all to them. Yeah, I, I had the did you not get the memo as my text message notification <laughs> for the longest time. <laughs> People, it's funny because, you know, I'm on Cameo. So so the, they taught me to get on Cameo because people always wanted me to say things on their phone. So the, the people at Cameo, you're going to be on Cameo. So I'm like, all right, let's do it. So it's funny how many cameos I do that people want me to say all my bulls, you know, my bull sayings, you know, too big, too strong, too fast, too good, everything. I always have to say at least one catchphrase out of all, give me the hot sauce or whatever. And it's a lot of fun for bulls fans. And uh, it's a lot of fun for me because if that, if that makes them smile on a birthday wish or whatever, it makes me smile. For sure. My second favorite one is the, no Shioni dunk over the Wizards player, and it was the, the Family Guy dunk. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and see on that one. See if there was a live version of Stewie and Family Guy, that guy yeah. would have played Stewie. Well, he might have been too big, but the guys in the truck. I will say this: the guys in the truck at Comcast, I owe them a lot of it because they went and put the actual Stewie cartoon head on <laughs> on the guy's face as he was getting dunked on, and so. I mean, that was another reactionary call. That was just something like like I had no filter, you know. So, like, if you're sitting there watching a game at home and someone did that, I mean, you're going to say something like that. And I think, honestly, <laughs> that's why I relate to to fans because, I, you know, not only do I make the games fun, me and Neil, um, but I say things that you are thinking. And that's very hard to do without the curse words. You know, you know sure. sometimes people want to curse, you know, but – but I say the things that you may think or same things that you want to say, I'm saying them. And so I think that's why I relate a little bit with like with the Bulls fans. Absolutely. Stacy again, this was a blast. 
we could listen to you talk for a while and it's just a uh, lot of fun. Uh, <laughs> Enjoy I it. I told bro. you, man, it's Friday. I had nothing else better than this folk clothes. So y'all got me out of folding clothes, baby. I appreciate it. Oh, man. <laughs> well, that concludes this show, Bulls Gold. As always, you can catch our old shows on Spotify, on Apple, on Podbean, wherever it gets you podcasts. And we will catch you next Tuesday here on Nothing But Net Radio, part of Dash Radio. So for Salim Sudawala, I'm Edward Schuler. We will catch you next week, Bulls fans. Yeah.